Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to another episode of What Next? Today we have E.T. Franklin, who also is known as Esther Franklin, and we are going to be talking about scaling identity. We may think about it as nexting, scale for growth. But before that, I'd like to introduce E.T., who is a longtime friend and the president, Global Strategy and Culture Fluency at Spark Foundry. Welcome, E.T. Hello, Rashad. It's great to have you. It's great to be here. So, E.T., we ask our guests for three provocations or statements, but you may have the winning three. If there's a prize, even better. (laughs) But I will start with my three provocations. The first one, identity. The new orange, I propose that identity is something everyone is wearing proudly and proclaiming out loud. Second, turn up the volume, doubling down on identity assertion. And lastly, identity nexting. So why don't we begin with the identity shift? When I think about the identity shift, I think about millennials. They were the first truly diverse generation. But Gen Z has roared on the scene, fueling and reshaping the identity discussion. Identity is uniquely personal and delivers meaningful scale that can drive growth. I think about identity factors shifting, which begins with an often overlooked starting place with people reframing how they see themselves. Our industry often starts the conversation with consumers but understanding people first enriches connection opportunities. And we know a people-first focus is more nuanced and multidimensional. It leads to comprehension of important ways they self-identify, where race and ethnicity is only one aspect, but identity is key. So very clearly, a lot of brands make the mistake of looking at people through the lens of the brand and therefore they look at people as consumer. And you clearly build the case that to understand people, you need to understand who they are. And identity is a critical aspect of it. And race and ethnicity is just one ingredient of their identity. Absolutely. What are some of the other ingredients? Yes, when I think about uh, identity and race and ethnicity, Identity provides a route to debunking assumptions. So things like African-Americans are great at style, dance, music, sports, and religion. Or the Hispanic market, for example, is all about family, community, and food. Or even LGBT+, it's about exaggerated behaviors. People who become homosexual because they were abused as kids. But being identity-led gives permission to reframe those assumptions and and market considerations and demonstrate in tangible ways just because you're previously familiar with any of these segments doesn't mean that you know them for life. They're evolving just like everyone else. And so by reframing to identity, you can identify keys that will help you connect with these consumers in much more relevant ways. When you speak of identity, one of the key things is that don't put me in a box and then define me by the box. That's right. I might be part of one box, but I'm also many other things. Exactly. 
Again, using African-American as an example, many marketers felt they understood this market and they had a familiar area with them, but perceptions can remain stagnant while people's view of themselves moves on. So in a study that we did to really explore identity within the African-American community, the perception of African-Americans is that they are in this sort of fly genre, fly girls and players, you know, young, young, interested in music, hip hop, that kind of thing. And our study was able to demonstrate and prove that, that those identities, though they do exist in the black community, represent less than 3% of the community. And when we asked people to guess the percentage these identities represented, most people said they represented 50%. Some said even as much as 80%. And that is absolutely the wrong way to look at the market. And so when we reframe the market through the lens of identity, we discovered there were some hidden identities within the African-American market that were valuable to advertisers. The hidden majority represents almost 70% of the community. And it consists of African-American buppies, for example, almost 20%. African-American devouts, almost 29%. And African-American backboners, around 20%. So if you're focused on that misperception of the flies, less than 3%, you're focusing on an, on an opportunity in a misinformed way. Can you speak a little bit about what a buppy is, what a backbone is, and what a devout is? I think I know, but I'm a little less certain about backbone, but if you explain those three. So when we think about African-American buppies, these are people that are contributing, they're confident, they're success-oriented, they tend to be professional, and they're very active in their parenting style. When we think about devouts, you can think about a more religious-oriented identity. And this identity is grateful for simple pleasures. They're satisfied with the life they've been able to carve out for themselves. Church and community is first, and they are in the pursuit of social change. Whereas backboners, around 21%, those are the people that make all of our lives easier. They are comfortable with the current state of affair, getting the job done, happy to contribute. They don't want center stage. So think about the people that make our society run, whether that be those grocery cashiers, uh, sanitation professionals, etc. Got it. Is one of the reasons why we generalize or caricature or profile because of media? Media plays a large part in that. And so that's where there's so many voices advocating for different portrayals, more balanced portrayals of all inclusive communities, and also uh, a push to satisfy the content needs of these audiences who are looking for much more diverse content options that reflect how they see themselves, both in reality and in aspiration as well. So the simple point you make here is that all of us are more complex than sometimes the way we are painted. 
Absolutely. Uh, that is a very true statement. And what we're seeing is that increasingly younger generations are more forthcoming and have an urgency to speaking out about the complexity of their identities and the importance of understanding those complexities. Now you make a point that identity is a global thing. So obviously we've begun with a conversation around African-Americans, but this is prevalent all over the world. It is absolutely a global phenomenon. People are turning up the volume on the importance of identity, acknowledgement, and consideration everywhere. And while millennials started that out loud conversation on identity, what we're seeing is that Gen Z is really bringing that conversation forth um, and turning the volume up in a, a lot of important ways. Inclusive identity issues and considerations are resonating around the world, and that's been catapulted by Black Lives Matter movement and the Me Too movement. And those movements serve as proof points that activation around identity matters and can drive change for better for all. So Black Lives Matter resonated around the world. It was always intended to be global. We know that there are activists across 60 plus countries from Finland to South Africa, and anti-Blackness is a global issue. As an example, in the UK, Black Lives Matter raised over a, a million pounds in 2020. But we also think about the global impact of Me Too. It started in 2007 with work being done to provide resources to victims of sexual harassment and assault. But then in October of 2017, Alyssa Milano, an actress, tweeted hashtag Me Too. And by November, it was retweeted 23 million times in 85 countries. It too had success. So it led to an avalanche of global resignations across private and public sectors, whether that was the 2018 Nobel Prize in Literature being canceled for Jean-Claude Arnault, or China proposing new workplace protections as part of a wide-ranging civil code reform in 2020. And even in Egypt, we see that the very first Egyptian woman won a court ruling on sexual harassment and set new legal precedent for all Egyptian women. So these kinds of activations globally and the success they're driving have really increased demand for brands to more authentically see inclusive audiences and make, make sure they're valued and considered in everything that they're doing. There's also greater accountability uh, these audiences are holding to promises and commitments brands rush to convey in the height of everything going on in 2020. So we believe that advertisers who stay close to how identity is now taking shape will be in the best position to drive growth through this transition. When we look at identity, there are several factors. One clearly is we want our voice to be heard. Second is we wish to be included. The third is there is a sense of protest and fairness. And the fourth one is we want products and services to be customized to our needs. So it's a very complex thing. How do marketers navigate this? 
marketers can navigate it by staying close to what's going on and understanding the conversations and where they're emanating from as a start. So when we think about the question of self-identity, self-culture questioning is one of the factors that is contributing to how identity is being shaped next. So self-defined identity is more urgent than ever. The conversation is more granular and personalized. And the emphasis is on inclusive identities, whether that be gender, orientation, ability, religion, ancestral ties, race or ethnicity. And there's a questioning of the status quo everywhere within own cultures. As an example, let's talk about U.S. Jewish population. The conflict in Gaza stokes an identity crisis for young American Jews. They're on a search for the truth. They've grown up with a different reality than previous generations before them. So when you take that combined with the protest movements that happened last year, they're questioning what is the relationship with Israel and what role does Israel play in their lives and how do they think about Palestine and the conflicts that are happening. But what's the truth when everyone has a different way of looking? We see these same kinds of conversations happening in India, India's identity crisis, which is a fallout of the Citizenship Amendment Act, which is an act that really amends a 64-year-old citizenship law in which illegal citizens are deported and jailed, and it provides exceptions for some religious communities. And people that are really paying attention to what this act means and understanding the implications are students and Muslim women. They're driving these protests. So again, we see reinforced by younger generations, by inclusive populations such as women. Canada is another example. With discovery of unmarked graves, Canada's indigenous Sikh reckoning. And while that's specific about the First Nations community, it has all Canadians questioning their identity. So when we think about stress points in people's lives, and we extend that to stress points that exist for them as consumers, this is white space that is available for any advertiser to tap into to associate their values with the questioning or the reckoning or the acknowledgement that these inclusive identities are calling for, pushing for, and demanding. And it is probably truer today than ever before for a variety of reasons. The first is at the board level, companies are thinking about purpose and values. Yes. The second is a generation of talent insists that their companies speak up. Absolutely. The third is because of social media, the disempowered now have a voice. That's right. And you combine all of those three and you can't say, I'm not going to get involved. You cannot say you're not going to get involved. The voices, as I mentioned in my provocation, are loud. The volume is at highest decibels that it's ever been before. But there's another dynamic that we have to pay attention to as well. 
and that's global population shifts. When we look at where the shifts are taking place and what it means, these shifts are bringing new inclusive identities into markets that did not have to previously deal with that so much. And so countries with the highest immigration rates also offer opportunities for advertisers to, to look harder at identities and determine ways to associate and link that with their value propositions. Those countries include the United States, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Germany, the UK, the United Arab Emirates, France, Canada, Australia, and Spain. And these are all countries where we practice both creative and media within Publicis. So this offers opportunities for us to think about people and our audiences differently as we develop solutions on behalf of our clients. For pretty much everybody, whether they're inside Publicis or not, if they're a client or not, as long as you're an individual to succeed, you need to understand other people broader and deeper. That's correct. So much of this is driven by our youth. And while that may seem stereotypical, the youth is pushing us all to be better than ever. And they have a confidence and a way of being in the world that's different from previous generations. One that's saying, I respect the generations and the legacies that came before me. I understand why their voices may have been a bit more silent, why they might have held closer to the vest some of the experiences that happened to them. But we are here to start making those things right. Whether that's in the UK, what's going on with the Black Lives Movement there, and where it came from when we think about the Windrush generation. These were um, Caribbeans that arrived in the UK between 1948 and 1971 to address the post-war labor shortage. But despite living and working in the UK for decades, they were not really legal due to a lack of paperwork, which created all kinds of issues. And so we see the generations that spawn from those initial settlers are saying, we want to be recognized. We want to stand up for the rights of Blacks and all people within the UK. And so they're pushing hard on that. We see the same kind of controversy happening in France. And so in a country which promotes a country identity, France finds itself fighting for its own soul. So there are many reasons for us to pay attention to the movements, the conversations, and dig deep into the principles of identity to identify keys advertisers can use to drive connections and growth. So the three provocations, the first was the importance of identity. The second is the fact that it is dialed up in volume all over the world. And the third is the next thing is that you've got, whether it's next generation immigrants, this is spreading all over. Yes. Including with youth. Yes. So summarizing some of your thoughts, but I'm sure you have many more. One is to be inclusive. Yes. To both be inclusive with making sure you have different identities in your boardroom, in your decision making, and listen to them and give them a voice. Yes. 
Second is to understand that the way to understand people is through themselves and through their people versus through the brand. Yes. The third is to both understand and have a little bit more insight on their usage of both media, but also what drives them. Absolutely. You know, what's their purpose and vision and values? Uh, Are there others? I think um, those are some of the most important, but building in diverse perspective at all levels of influence and monetization with an organization is key. It helps the organization have the right lens and it gives the organization a built-in antenna. So while every organization doesn't have the luxury of necessarily having specialists, it's critical to have generalists that understand the power of the identity conversation and understand how to operationalize that inside the system, whether that's understanding and building audience profiles, integrating key considerations and concerns into the crafting of strategies, building identity-based relevance into marketing approaches and media plans, driving identity keys and partner relationships, investment strategies, and marketplace activation, and critically capturing identity cohorts and measurement. If we don't measure the impact we're getting from those kinds of audiences and integrating those perspectives into our strategies, we have no tangible way of capturing or being able to talk about the impact we are driving that we can continue to build upon and iterate from. On an individual level, we've seen Ben and Jerry uh, stop selling in Gaza. And the founders of Ben and Jerry, who are devout Jews, explaining why. And their basic belief is protesting against certain elements of Israel's politics is not the same as being anti-Semitic, which is one thought that they have as very devout Jews. Yes. The second is the fact that folks like uh, Simon Bills and others have left Nike and moved into a brand called Athleta because they believe that those brands care more about the people and the athlete versus the corporation. And so you have voices now, these women are speaking up against the large companies. And then third, which was another sort of factor, is companies like Warby Parker are transparent about how they do business and show how they're helping everybody in their ecosystem. And there is a backlash on companies like Amazon who don't pay necessary too many taxes and at the same time uh, pay minimum wages or not too much above for their own workers in their in their warehouses. And so to a great extent people are saying, I love Amazon as a consumer, but I'm not so sure as a citizen. And those are two identities. Yes, absolutely. And we see that kind of activation happening in many ways. There's another group that has been formed called the Black 
index activating around the promises companies have made to minority communities in 2020. And it is an index that takes stock of what companies say versus what they do. And they go in deep. So they're looking at the percent of black employees, the composition of the leadership team and management board, the board of directors, do they have a black CEO, for example. And qualitative metrics they look at are known negative racial claims, investment initiatives, supplier diversity program, and the DNI initiative. So to your point, Rashad, not only are noted professionals and athletes taking a hard stand, but everyday people are as well. And there are some additional brands that have recognized that and have some propositions out in the marketplace to address that. Starbucks is one of them with their To Be Welcoming initiative, which is a recognition that public spaces and third places have to be more welcoming to all so that we can celebrate our shared humanity in ways that are appropriate, respectful, and resonant. And what they've done is created a whole university, 15 courses that get into uh, helping people understand, for example, welcoming dialogue around religious bias, sexuality bias, nationality bias, gender bias, class bias, disability bias. I mean, how do you help your frontline workers be able to greet and welcome your guests in a way that wants your guests to lean in to your proposition, to your product, to advocate on your behalf and to continue to spend money with you. In Sweden, which is another country that's sort of grappling with its identity, Sweden has been known to be an open, democratic society, welcoming to all and having no uh, sense of bias. But that has been, that ideology has been greatly challenged with the percentage of immigrants that have come into that country. And so as they grapple with what identity is and how to balance the immigrants with Swedish society, they know that they have to be more inclusive. They use influencers a lot to reach younger generations in Sweden. And those influencers are diverse, they're proud, and they're out loud. So an example of something that's happening in Sweden with McDonald's is their first employer campaign, which is their approach to recognizing the diversity of the influencers in that market, driven by social platforms that are helping a brand like McDonald's connect to Gen Z and, and young generations of Sweden's who are questioning identity, who want the same kind of acknowledgement that we've been talking about throughout this conversation uh, and want that to be recognized by brands and advertisers. So that initiative speaks to how hard it is to get your first job, especially when you're diverse, when you're not part of the mainstream society, if you will. And this initiative to give power to those voices, 
to propel them through social media, but also in national TV so that you can start to help the whole country embrace and understand the power of inclusivity versus a fear of it. And it also is promoting the hiring of 10,000 young people over the next three years and encouraging other brands to jump in. So when you think about, again, the power of understanding identity next, and the ways that brands can connect with that to give voice, to propel ideas, and to drive connections, the upside for advertisers is tremendous. Esther, you know, during our prior conversations, you've spoken very highly of Lloyd's, which is a very large publicist client, about what they're doing in this space. Could you elucidate? Yes, I'd be happy to, because what they're doing is quite interesting, and they are committed to driving change in the UK. They've combined with some industry associations to do research, and in their latest report, they talk about new guiding principles they've embraced so that they can be more resonant and connect more deeply with inclusive audiences who are demanding this in the UK. Those guiding principles, and some may say some of these are basic, but if you don't have anything in place, it really lays a strong foundation that they can continue to build upon as they drive toward being a brand of the future. But those guiding principles include portray me positively in the ways I want to be seen and help challenge and defy restrictive stereotypes. Don't put me in a box. Consider all the layers of my identity and the people that are portrayed. Acknowledge intersectionality and generational diversity. Authenticity in the details is another principle that they've come up with. And this speaks to focusing on the nuanced details for true-to-life representations, creating good connections, and not bad reactions. They've highlighted that word association counts and want to ensure that language used alongside image doesn't reinforce stereotypes and tropes and that it demonstrates awareness of societal issues. They ask, where am I in all of this? And try to represent all ethnicities, Asian and mixed heritage are often underrepresented. So making sure that these two are included as well. They want to level the playing field, show people from all ethnicities can have an equal status and are deserving of prominence. So this has to do with things like assigning starring roles, consciously rotating order, portraying leaders and experts, as well as inclusivity behind the scenes. And lastly, they've identified sensitively challenging bias. And by that, they mean taking the time to consider how comms could be interpreted by people with different beliefs and how negative portrayals, which potentially oppose cultural and religious beliefs, despite being broadly recognized and accepted. So I think that's a massive undertaking that Lloyd's has been committed to, and it's demonstrating in a very leadership-driven way what others can do to drive change and better. I can imagine. You've talked about two things. One is what should we be aware about how people 
because of identity are changing. And then second is what marketers should think about as they go around with marketing. The principles we should all be thinking about from a marketing and advertising perspective goes back to that first provocation, the new orange identity. People's identity evolves just as everything in society is evolving. So it is incumbent upon us as marketers and advertisers to stay in step with how identity is evolving and not default to what we believe we know about the way people see themselves. That requires both quantitative and qualitative research and understanding in a highly nuanced way. The ability to link that kind of qualitative assessment that helps us understand why motivations, behaviors, and beliefs to the, to the systems that we have within our organizations that help us understand the behaviors and nuances connect to media and brands. So if we have the information, which is the first step, what do we do with it? How does our organization ingest that information? What we need to think about there is do we have the right people and perspectives inside the organization to be able to pick up on those nascent cues and understand that data at a granular level? Do we have the right operational procedures in place to be able to leverage those insights and that nuanced understanding all the way through our system so that the rich inputs we see at the beginning of the process inform our strategies and show up with intent in our activations and are captured in the way we measure? And do we have the courage as an organization to identify systematic biases that curtail us being able to see these kinds of evolution that's happening in the marketplace? And when we see them, what are we doing specifically to dismantle them. These things we can bring to the brands and advertisers that we steward. We can help them in their quest to drive impact and growth in a marketplace that is not only disrupted in so many ways, but is evolving from how people see themselves. Our ability to connect these dots for advertisers makes it possible for us to grow as an organization, and it makes it, our relationships with our clients much more sticky and valuable. Could not agree more. I also would suggest one more thing for everybody, regardless of their level, which country they're at, is take a group of people uh, in your country, in your organization, and reach out to them and ask how you can better learn about them and their culture. Because in every company, the guides are already there. We just have to listen to their voices. I agree 100%. We've had the pleasure of listening to E.T. Franklin, also known as Esther Franklin, 
who has talked to us about the importance of identity. She has spoken about how identity is the new orange, how we have to turn up the volume, and identity is going to be a big thing in nexting as it becomes more globalized and the next generation rises. She explains that the key to doing better in this world is to look at people as people and not as consumers, to understand that they have voices, to both give and listen to their voices, and to be more sensitive as well as inclusive. Thank you, E.T. Thank you, Rashad. It was my pleasure to have this conversation with you today. What Next, a publicist group podcast produced by Prodigious UK.